So, you know, worked in the, uh, you know, food industry a lot, dessert industry a lot. There'll be four or five of us sitting around a table in an RD lab, tasting product. I really like that. Okay, let's go. Well, how much of that you, though, are you going to actually buy? Uh, Hardly any. So we're taking your opinion and evaluation and projecting that onto the market. Let's just like what you said. Yeah, a lot of times a business owner, they have extreme expertise in their area. So they tend to view their audience like they need their product or service, which you've really got to flip that around. How, what problem does that audience you're going after have that you can then position your product or service to solve? Yeah, but you now, so much of the time, I have all this knowledge and expertise. I just need to tell these people about it and then they'll do business with me. But it's, it's just not the way it works at all. Most business owners and entrepreneurs are secretly sick of hustling. And if you are too, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Hustle Less, Profit More podcast with me, Mickey Anderson, where we're revolutionizing success because you should have it all. Business success, lasting wealth, freedom, and fulfillment. Join me on this quest to uncover the keys to defining and achieving success on our terms so we can all hustle less and profit more. One of the things we hear all the time about growing a business is you need to do email marketing. You need to do social media marketing. You need to do video marketing. You need an email list. And we're given all of these tactics and pieces to marketing without an overall strategy. And Jean, I know you and I vibe so much on building that foundational strategy for a business before digging into the little platforms and pieces. I, I cut my teeth back when I grew up in the consumer packaged goods industry. Consumer packaged goods are the things you go into a supermarket or a store or something. It's what you see advertising on. That's the consumer packaged goods. And that world is grow or die. If you're not growing a business in that world, they will bring a new group in there to grow that business, absolutely grow or die. So you learn very quickly in there that you need to learn how to think strategically. And strategy is nothing more than choice. When you're in the marketing world, that's around what customers am I going to go after? What value am I going to provide them? Where am I going to show up? Where did they show up in terms of media they can see? So these are all just things you're thinking through. So you can build a plan that will then go be successful. Now that's you know, a very simplistic overview of it. You really have to deep dive into all of this, but you learn very quickly. You better understand those things before you leap into advertising, sales funnel, marketing type tactics, because they're going to be very inefficient and not effective. And you also have in that world budget responsibility. So if I am not delivering what I'm supposed to do within that budget, again, it's a very unpleasant work environment. So it was really, you know, out of necessity to learn how to think strategically before leaping into action that may or may not. Yeah, you know, especially in the small business world, we hear uh, a lot of people will create a product or a service and then try and find a market to sell it to. But I love that you talked about understanding your audience and delivering value first before creating and refining a product. Yeah, there's a term, you know, I've got a little gray on the temple. So it's interesting how terminology has changed over the 30 years or so I've been in the marketing world. We just just call it deep dive on our target audience. Mm -hmm. Now it's terms like buyer persona, customer avatars, all these terms. It's the same thing. So a lot of times when you're dealing with a small business owner, They'd say one of two things. My product or service really can fit almost every big red flag immediately there. Because even if that's basically true, if you're talking to almost everyone, you're talking to no one because they're just not on the list. And then the other thing is they'll have just kind of a brief description. I'm a landscape company, so we go towards more rural neighborhoods. That's good. But in both of those sentences, as much detail as you can get into lifestyles, attitudes, media they consume, things they may talk about, people who influence them. The deeper you can go on there, it starts to really be fascinating for really how it starts shaping how you can talk about them. Let me give you a quick example 
Uh, I was mentioning to you in another conversation, I was working with a gentleman who has a line of fitness stuff. He has on his website for the everyday athlete. And the more we started going through his message and his strategy, he said a lot about how people are intimidated by supplements. They don't have the knowledge. They're kind of scared if they go into a real power gym to ask anybody. The more he talked, he's really positioned himself around the average fitness-minded individual, not really someone who sees himself as necessarily an athlete. But just that right there, digging deeper into attitudes, mindset of your target can really have a dramatic effect on how you talk to them. And then again, where you show up. So now where's my social media efforts going to be? Where's my email efforts going to be? What's my content going to be? He's based on seemingly a subtle difference like that can make a big difference. So as much as you can possibly know about that, my target, the better off you're going. You and I both have a history in, in the fitness world as fellow CrossFitters. And one of, something that you mentioned there was the gentleman said the everyday athlete. And I've seen this a lot in the fitness industry specifically where the ideology or beliefs of the business owner that everyone should be able to be an athlete, you know, their philosophical beliefs end up in their marketing and there's a disconnect between their beliefs, their knowledge and the actual experience and beliefs of the audience. And so I'd love to talk a little bit more about that, about how we can find a balance between the business owner's beliefs and philosophies and reason why they're in business, but matching that with what the audience actually needs to hear. That's, you, you just nailed it. And it's a classic example. I can go back to my consumer package goods days. And you would be surprised at some of the multi-million dollar decisions that get made with zero data. So, you know, worked in the uh, you know, food industry a lot, dessert industry a lot. There'll be four or five of us sitting around a table in an RD lab tasting product. I really like that. Okay, let's go. Well, how much of that you, though, are you going to actually buy? <laughs> Hardly any. So we're taking your opinion and evaluation and projecting that onto the market. Let's, let's get, like what you said, you know, a lot of times a business owner, they have extreme expertise in their area. So they tend to view their audience like they need their product or service, which you've really got to flip that around. How, what problem does that audience you're going after have that you can then position your product or service to solve? You know, to you now, so much of the time, I have all this knowledge and expertise. I just need to tell these people about it and then they'll do business with me. But it's, it's just not the way it works at all. The curse of knowledge, right? <laughs> and the great in the fitness industry, you know, I'm a fire breather. I'm all into this. At least people are going to be attracted to it. And just the opposite half to monetize. I'm a by it. But all by it. I don't want to be part of that. I'm looking for something more exclusive. Mm-hmm. And that's like the terminology we use with the gentleman with the supplement line. He has... You know, the average fitness-minded individual that's more inclusive than those who are seeing themselves as an athlete and trying to improve their athleticism. And again, how that very tactically comes to light is he wanted to be for this everyday fitness-minded person who's really in this struggle, but in his website had pictures of very buff, very in shape, very athletic-living people. You got a huge disconnect there between what you want your message to be and then how it's showing up. Yeah, it's a fine balance between highlighting that um, aspirational identity of your client, where they envision or would love to be versus what's actually going to influence them to buy, how much of it they need to hear and see and how much they need to relate with the message. And I think this is a great segue because you, as a messaging expert, work within a very specific framework. We're both really familiar with the story brand framework. So I'd love to dig in a little bit more about how we can use this simple story framework to influence the way that we market. Yeah, and the thing that was great about story brand, and I always tell people, you know, I came to that framework and philosophy after 20 plus years in marketing, as the other person said, with really sparkly, you know, high end types marketing. Uh, and so I knew how to do messaging, but this was just so transformative for me because of the way it starts to get you to think about your customer first 
And then that leads right into you when know, story brand starts with the hero, as you know. So now let me go learn all I can about that hero, even before I necessarily start down the path of the framework, doing a detailed, really detailed buyer persona, customer avatar. Let me learn all I can about them and then what their problems are. Really, really talk about their problem and what they want, how that problem is keeping them from getting what they want. And then, as you know, that right there is starting to enter them into a story. And you can see it with advertising that you yourself consume or someone. There can be just a blanket of noise. And then you hear something, you hear it through that noise because it's talking directly to you. It's talking about a problem you have, it's talking about it understands what you want. Then it gets your attention. You can always use terminology lean in because I just invited you kind of to the story that's about you. I want the story to be about me. You're great. I love you, but I want the story to be about me. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's what our consumers are. They want the story to be about them. So when we make the story about them, then they start paying attention. And I know you've seen the data. It's anywhere between five and 10,000 messages we're exposed to here. The people who think, you know, I can just start talking about my product or service and grow my business. No, you've got to break through that noise. You got to break through that clutter. And storytelling is an extremely effective device. Yeah. And the one thing I love, especially about the beginning of the framework, the problem identification, is it's kind of a filter that you can put your products and services through to say, does this actually solve their problem? If no, I have a product or service issue that I need to address. Things need to change. But if it does actually solve the problem, okay, now I can move forward in the story and start to show them what life will look like after. That transformation, yeah. And that's the only reason the word you use that really anyone ever engages with you is they're looking for a transformative outcome. Email on simple things. In place. You're looking for a wide to go that transformation. Uh, so that's very key. And it's also interesting that people who always you know, just want to talk about themselves themselves. And once you start nailing, do you solve this problem? And they say, yes, then really say it. Well, I'm not sure. Well, do you solve it? Yeah. Then say it. Don't be bashful. Then if you really solve that problem, it can help them get what they want. You know, in the story brand, you're now, you can be their guy. So be bold about that when you're sure you do that, when you're sure you solve that problem that you know they have because you did your fire persona. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever been in a sales situation like this where the salesperson, uh, you could tell they were nervous and unsure and insecure. Yeah. And that immediately, like as a consumer, you yeah. feel that. You're like, this person doesn't know if they can help me. I'm not going to buy from them. And that yeah. absolutely comes through in your messaging too if you're not confident that you can solve this person's problems. Yeah. yeah now I, don't, I don't want to just say that. Why? I mean, if you can step out there and own it, and I've had people, you know, I'm going through it with them. That sounds so just arrogant. No, not if you really can. Not if you really can, because that's what they're looking for. This is your point. If you're kind of human and quiet about it, then I may look elsewhere for it. But, you know, to that point, though, if you, you better than follow through customer experience with solving that problem and making sure you provide that transformation. If not, it's a one and done customer and you want to repeat. Yeah. Well, one of the things I love about the framework that you work within is you talked about arrogance versus confidence. And I think in the messaging framework of StoryBrand, they give you a great way to make sure that you don't come off arrogant, but you come off confident in the way that you present yourself as the guide. And so there's two parts to, to presenting yourself, the business, as the guide to your consumer. Do you want to talk a little bit about those two pieces? Sure. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, the one that really can resonate with people, them in aerospace, client I work with all things aerospace and nothing about the industry, you know, and the 100% lift brain type industry. And with, through the conversations with this client, he's becoming to understand more and more that even in that industry, they're making emotional decisions. Most decisions we make on products are emotional. And where you can really not be making an emotional connection is empathy. That's the characteristic of a guy is when they can express sincere empathy. Either they themselves have gone through this journey or they've worked with others in health them that have gone through that journey. So they understand 
empathy. I can feel what you feel, sympathy. I can help you. I understand. When you can do that, it, it raises the level of you know, the word sincerity when you're talking to that person because they can identify. You've been where I've been. You understand what I'm going through as well. So now I start to develop a little bit of trust. I, I know you. You're, you've talked about my problems and where I want, kind of understand me. So I'm starting to lie to you. Empathy really starts them to help the trust you. First kind of three steps of that customer journey. Then you put the authority on top of there. Well, what's the proof I have that I can really start to trust you, that you can do what you say you're doing? You know, when you combine those two things, empathy and then authority, the actual physical proof that you can do it, and you start really positioning your brand as the guy that can help them solve a problem and get what they want. But that empathy is a really key element of that because most decisions we make, even though we, we claim not, are not rational decisions to the degree that they're emotional decisions with a rational component to them. We tend to be emotional beings and make emotions. Yeah, well, that's the thing about humans. And that's the thing about marketing, really. We, I, I say it all the time. Uh, marketing is human to human communication, right? There's a medium, of course, but but it's human. As humans, like we can't turn off the emotions. They influence us regardless. And that's typically the first filter that we go through when we're making decisions as an emotional filter. And then we start to rationalize and make decisions based off data and analytics. But it's always emotion first. Now, one of the things I love about working through the authority part, aside from obviously being able to demonstrate your and position you in the market as an authority figure, is for many business owners who start off feeling insecure and they don't want to be pushy, once you identify the pieces of information that give them authority, you nail down why what they do works or how they've done it time after time, they get a lot more confident talking about how they can solve people's problems. And I, I love that. But once, once we've positioned the business owner as the guide, what's the next step? How do we get the consumer to begin to consider and take action? Yeah, this is one of my favorite parts of the working through this framework. You want to give them a flame. And it's amazing sometimes the struggle, you know, and getting someone to think through how to give them a plan and why you need to fit. We, you've now positioned yourself as the guide. So you have to lead them. And I'm going to lead you by showing you a simple three to four step plan for how you can engage so that you say, oh, now I've got confidence. I know, like, and trust. Now I'm getting ready to try because you're showing me the path to sum up where I'm going to get where I want. So that's really the next step is like that three step, three step or four step plan. And I always use real estate as an example. How many steps are there in buying a home? There's fifty steps you got to go through, and you're all intimidated. But you come to know and like, and starting to trust a specific realtor, and then they give you say, you know, the next thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the MLS listings and narrow down you some uh, properties you like. Then we're going to book some showings, and we're going to purchase the right one and get you on your dream. This boom, boom. In my business is we're going to have a discovery call and talk about your problems and issues you have with your business. We're going to develop a customized marketing plan that's going to work for you. And then we're going to implement that and get the leads and conversions you need. That's not she wants to do. Yeah. The thing I love about that is because, as you mentioned, there are so many steps to most things. And what we have, the business owner has the curse of knowledge. We know all the steps there are. Sometimes we think it's important to tell the customer all of the steps. They need to be informed. But that's actually wrong because we're just overwhelming them with information they don't need to know. As long as we know the steps, they just need to know the general direction upon which they're going and what the outcome's going to be. Yeah. And when we start getting into a lot of detail on steps of plans, they just become a little bit confused are intimidated, or this is going to be a lot further than I thought, and they start getting nervous and potentially back out of the process. And you know, this may be coming across as this big complex thing, but you can just see it in messaging. You know, the three to four step plan is literally something you can take and put on your website, social media, again, just to kind of lead that person because you position yourself as the guy and you have the expertise to help them to get what they want. 
you know, so it can be very, very powerful. It's one of the favorite things I like walking through because a lot of times people haven't really thought about that. They, they think that the outcome they're looking for, the conversion action you use the digital marketing term is the sale. Well, really you want that first step in the fleet. That's what you want to do. Cause now I've got them engaging with me. I can demonstrate my expertise within the second, third step. So when I start thinking about my marketing and communication on, I really need to get that action, that first step of a plan, get them to do that. Cause that's generally the call to action as well. Then I can move them up the ladder to final sale and getting my wallet or repeat and ultimately an advocate or rate. You can't, you know, I got to get the sale. I got to get the sale. No, you want the first step in the plan. That's really what you want your marketing to the to be focusing. Yeah. Don't jump the gun. Don't rat. We, we don't propose on the first date. Yeah, exactly. So we've given them the plan. We've told them what the next step is. There's more to this though. It doesn't end there. What's, what's the next step in this framework? Yeah, the next step is that call to action. So I'm just directly call to action. Most, a lot of times that is the first step of the plan, you know, book a conversation. I uh, worked with a uh, individual who had an in-home helper type business where they were doing senior daycare and what have you. You know, let's book a listening session. You just want to talk to me or fill out this assessment. So that, that's really what you want to call into action to do. And be bold in the call to action. What do you really want them to do? Always ask people on our website, what do you want visitors to come to that website to do? What do you want them to do? And that's when you let them be your call to action. And then the other thing we want to do there, so let's say I come to your website or I've seen you on social media. I kind of like where you're going, but I'm not ready to engage. We want to provide them something of value so that we can start entering a relationship. We call that in the story ramping act or the transitional call to action, but it is an asset that we can give someone of real value in exchange for contact. Uh, you go back through this exercise and you've listed all these problems you, they have. Find one in there that you can solve for free through a download of some kind of asset. It can be a PDF download, it can be a video series. It's all kind of different ways it can manifest itself. So that they're, again, it starts helping you build that trust so that when they are ready to buy, you're going to become the natural choice for them. That's just a lot of ways to further demonstrate expertise, whatever that transitional call to action is. Again, we were talking earlier about a, a gentleman with a lot of fitness supplements who had started his journey. He was a hundred pounds overweight and he lost that one uh, and eventually went on to compete in bodybuilding competition. As we were talking, I mean, your download needs to be how Kyle did. I mean, was Kyle, that's your balance. So somebody can get that. They can see the journey you went through, which also goes back to that empathy thing. And that's going to build a lot of credibility and trust for you. So that when they are ready to buy, you're going to be the supplement lab. So something like that, that solves a problem they have, that you can provide is a great way to get into more brands. So you can start nurturing. So one of the questions I get all the time, and I'm sure you get it too. And I want to get your take on how to respond to this is, um, someone will say, but I don't want to give stuff away for free because it devalues my services and they're not going to buy from me. How would you respond to that? Yeah, that's always not. I've thought those things, things too. And Pass. I think it really has to go back then to, or do you really want to be a guy? And then what are your ultimate financial goals? The ultimate financial goal really is, if I look at it, a money will refer me, a rating fan. So to do that, I'm going to have to show them that they can trust me and want to do business. So give away till it hurts, because that's how you know you're really giving some value. And if you have enough confidence in what you're doing, which you should have gone through this process, you should have a high degree of confidence that they're going to come back and want to do. Uh, I think it's Alan did in the one page marketing plan shows it can be a 20 step process for how many times they engage with something to bring in before they actually buy and then receive the customer customers. So you want to, you want to make sure. And it is really something of value, but you also want to make sure that it's not everything so that they do want to come back and do business. But I think if you just kind of use that framework to help you think through what is something really of value. And I always like to do it when we're doing the framework, we've listed several problems. Let's find one. We can do something 
on a transitional download, let's just give away a free offer that can solve that one. Because then again, it's going to raise their confidence so that you can solve their big problem. Yeah. And he's saying, you know, you're dealing with your, you're dealing with your baby. You don't want to give it away, but mm -hmm. uh, it works. Absolutely works. Yeah. And I find the question often comes from people who are still struggling to get those first few sales or they don't have consistent sales. And so it's really hard to think about the second, third and fourth transaction when they haven't even really consistently been getting the first. And so it can, it can sting a little bit more when you're giving away free value because you're not seeing that. But, but we have to remember that this stuff takes time. <laughs> There's no yeah. silver bullet. Right. And it's putting yourself in the place of your customer. Yeah. And when they are then a customer, they don't necessarily want to just go all in on somebody. They want to learn and test the waters. That whole try phase of the buyer. And I'm just kind of trying it here before I want to make the step into, you know, buying. And so you got to help people make that, you know, leap from, let me test a little bit here. Retrial, we see that all the time. Those are great downloads. Mm -hmm. And then let me move into, okay, now I will buy and hope you repeat. Yeah. So once we've got them either to download the asset or maybe book that call, uh, what's the next step in the framework? Uh, I, I know that there's a little bit more we need to dig into before this whole thing ends. There's two things you want to talk about in your communications when you're looking at the story that you've invited them into. One, what does success look like? <laughs> what is the outcome you've sought uh, that you're going to experience when you deal with my product or service? So you want to show that. What is that outcome? Uh, go back to a fitness analogy here. It's not necessarily a great looking fit body. You can be a group shot. You've got some community here of other people doing the same thing. There's your outcome. I'm, I'm, I'm partnered in a tribe that understands me. So you want to show that. What does success look like? What is that outcome? And, and that term outcome is so key. In the package business world, we were talking a lot of times about features and benefits. And these are products you go in the store and buy. Most services and even products today, you really need to talk about outcomes. What is the positive experience they've had after using this product or service? And then you want to show that digital website, social media. And then the other is what failure are they avoiding by doing business? What are the stakes? What's at stake here? And I had a friend I've worked with some who's a chiropractor, but also has a technology he uses called ther thermology. That's a breast cancer screening. It doesn't replace a mammogram. It works along with it, but his stakes he puts on his website is one in five mammograms are misdiagnosed. Mm -hmm. So that's the stakes. He doesn't beat over the head with or anything. So you do this, it just enhances that ability to catch it in particular. So that's what's at stake. So a lot of people don't really think about that. If someone doesn't engage with you, what's the negative experience that they continue to be? I like to use mine as you're still going to be in this chaotic realm of your business doing random acts of marketing and, and not really being successful with your market. That's what's at stake. We work together. We're going to give you a plan that'll work. So you really need to be able to talk about success and then what's at stake and that's failure that they're avoiding. Yeah, I find a lot of people avoid the the stakes because they they fear being manipulative or too or negative. negative. Yeah. yeah, but it's a fine balance between showing people what success looks like with just a little dose of you know right. what's at stake. It's not about throwing manipulative pain points on every aspect of your marketing. No, and you don't want to be overly negative because you'll turn people off. But, you know, there is something at stake here that we want to point out that we can help people avoid. That's what you're doing. You're helping them avoid. Again, as their guide, you can help them avoid that failure. Yeah. So I want to talk about execution because obviously there's, there's a big gap most of the time for entrepreneurs and startups. We learn, we consume, we take in all sorts of new things, but do we actually do anything with it? Depends. When it comes to taking this framework, this seven-part framework, that's a lot of pieces. Do we have to use all seven parts all the time? What does it look like to take your story and execute it into your marketing? No, that, that's a great comment. And, you know, I'll, I'll give the framework 100% credit for this. A social media content challenge. You can take that framework and just each segment of it, start thinking of the channel you want to be on, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and the topic. 
It can be just around the problem. You know, we didn't go into a lot of detail, but in the problem discussion we had, you have the external, internal, and philosophical. And you can have content around each of those things just in of itself. You're not using it all. You know, you're just taking that. But it's a great way to do a social media content strategy. It's just breaking that framework down and what are the topics and channels I should be on. The other thing I really like to do for people or encourage them to do is as soon as you have this messaging guide in place, we do what's called a brand script, which is a kind of a paragraph summary of it. But then from that, the next step phase I like people to do is build you a selling presentation. Mm. Take what you did in this framework and build a sales presentation that starts with the person, who they are, what they want, what their problem is, your product or service as a solution, why they should trust. Just lay that out in a sales presentation because it really helps reinforce what you just did and gives people that way to then go start talking about that. And then the other thing that can come out of it that's so powerful in your relationship is the whole one-liner, mm. you know, which is the answer to the question, what do you, uh, is that problem solution outcome? And that's something I've found people just, they, it opens their eyes. It's transformative to them. They really love that after they've gone to the framework. Just when somebody asks them what they do, they don't start the well. I've been in business for 15 years. We've got seven employees. When that, when that person tunes out, they start with, you know, well, you know, you've experienced this problem. Here's how we solve it. Here's what you get. It really turns that conversation on its head. That's just kind of three quick ways to use it, but you can use pieces of it in all your marketing. And you should, because it stays consistent. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I've, I've met a lot of people who start with the one-liner. They're like, I got to nail my one-liner, but they haven't done the due diligence of really working through the story, refining the story. And I'll, I'll tell you, the one-liner, a lot of times, at least in my experience, gets tweaked. It's never like a one and done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All of this, you should. I mean, I've tweaked mine. I've been, you know, guy for over a year. It should be tweaked all the time. And you can tweak it for different audience. Mm -hmm. uh, we were was talking to a client yesterday on, they've got a keynote coming up at a trade show. And should they be showing screenshots of the software they're selling or other things? You know, it's a classic consultant. You know, it depends. Who's in the audience? What problem did they have? Now you want to tailor your presentation to make sure you're talking to the problem there. So in this example, you're talking to CEOs and heads of finance. They don't really care about screenshots on the software. You know, you're helping them get product deliveries all the time. You're saving them a lot of money, fixing the problem with things being late. That's the problem. That's what you want to talk about. So yeah, a lot of those things, you can tweak that one ladder around, uh, depending on who your audience is at times as well. So we didn't really go to that on buyer for sign. A lot of people say, well, I can have multiple customers. Yes. You need a buyer persona deep dive for each of those. And then you need to make sure you're tailoring communication to each of those audiences. Don't have a one size fits all because that's when you start getting lost in the noise. But people get nervous. You know, I, I can have multiple customers and you just make sure you understand each of them in depth. And that your messaging talks to each other. If you're all things to all people, you're just not, you're lost in the colors. Yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit more about that in particular. How, because you and I both know a website can only have so many pages and it really only has one homepage. And if you have a company that has multiple buyer personas and they're trying to find a way to execute each buyer persona on a website because everyone's landing in the same place. How do we reconcile that and make sure that we're speaking to the problems of each of these people on our homepage website? Yeah, that's a good question. Not, not an easy answer. A lot of times I tell financial advisors, when you take a financial advisor. Uh, most of the ones I've talked to or deal with or come across say the same thing. We help you with your time portfolio and that type of thing. And I have one just in conversation because, you know, but I like to work with young families who have just got married and they're starting out. We want to get them going on the right path. Please talk about that every time you have an opportunity. Still doesn't do it. So the long way to answer your question, start with the one like that and tailor your communications. Now, what happens when that person has a good experience? They tell people 
outside of that core target. So you get business outside of that. But I would really start with the messaging around your best buyer persona as one way to get at what you're talking about and really focus it around that, build a reputation, become known for that. They're going to tell others you can outside of that. The other way is through on your website, very tactfully, is just tabs, links, you know, pros go here, home, you know, users go here so that you can kind of tailor messaging. It was interesting to get back to the, the fitness person who were those two primary products that have a little different value proposition. We were able to kind of come through with the main problem that's solving and have a kind of a three-step process and messaging there, but then you can go to the product page to more. The whole thing is, you know, is you just don't want to confuse them and you don't want to be so general and homogeneous that it's just meaningless. But I really like people to focus on a target audience, become known for that. They're going to have a good experience. They're going to refer people to you outside of that course. It's not something to fear. It's something that's really going to help you when you narrow down that niche and really become known for that. But it's amazing. You know, I my business all out the niche and I still just get business outside of that when I'm not necessarily seeking. It's just the other people hear it. They start paying attention to it. They can identify with it. It's not exclusionary. It's just great inclusive for who you are specifically talking about. Here's how do you only answer that when somebody comes to you with that? Yeah. <laughs> Just here. Yeah. Well, there's two sides. I love that. And you know what? That The topic that we're talking about right now, um, it's been kind of coined. There's a company in the fitness world called Two Brain Business, and they do marketing and business consulting for primarily CrossFit gyms. And they call it affiliate marketing and uh, or affinity marketing, not affiliate, affinity marketing. And it's really looking at it like a tree. And you have your client who is the core and then friends and family, colleagues, their colleagues, and you slowly branch out from the lowest hanging fruit, essentially. Uh, and I, I love using that analogy because it's so underused. And the conversations and the way that that sales process goes with those people is different. They're not just going to go to your website. They're going to have a conversation with a person about their experience, and then they're going to come directly to you. And so it's less about the messaging on your homepage for those people. It's more about the direct communication and how you can express how that that's going to work for them. The other side to it for sure is, is individual landing pages. When you get more into the weeds of your marketing, you're able to target with whether it's paid advertising or content or strategic partnerships, specific messaging to that audience and promote a landing page with the messaging for that audience in particular. Yes. And you have multiples of those, if necessary, that you can work with. But what I love to do on a homepage is really just look for a theme, <laughs> a, 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 like a, a line across all of them that, that aligns their core problem and try and combine that if possible on the homepage. That's not always possible, but when it is, it can make life really, really easy. Those are great examples too, though. All of that, if you'll go through the messaging development process first, mm -hmm. then go to that, you're just way better off. And you know, we, we use that step in the customer journey of the now you reach the point where people are referring you. Again, I go back to the financial planner example. Most everyone does retirement portfolios. I have a very difficult time referring you to. But if you said you're the financial planner for the young married couple starting out, I'm out at dinner with two or three people and their son's getting married. But hey, I know who you need to talk to from financial. Yep. Because you've become known for that. And then, you know, their parents may need Retirement portfolio for it, you don't, you don't know. But if you'll walk through that process first, where you've identified that person, the young couple starting out as my hero and what their problem is, then I can take, to your point, I would point out like with different pages on the inside or landing pages and get other messaging or other targets versus just this, again, generic kind of a little message that this wasn't falls there and gets lost in those five to 10,000 messages in you. Yeah. Well, and you know, there's a core word that's really shown up through this entire conversation. It's It's been the theme and it's messaging. And uh, business owners, a lot of times hear messaging and then copywriting and the two can get really confused and, and they both have a place for sure. Mm -hmm. But as you mentioned, messaging always comes first. You got to know the point <laughs> before you can get fancy with your grammar <laughs> and come up with the great, you know, taglines and whatnot. You got to understand the point. Um, so when you're looking at messaging compared to copywriting and 
specifically for those small business owners doing their own copy maybe at the beginning, writing their own messaging. Do you have any key points on for someone who feels like they're not a great writer <laughs> to get better at the messaging part so the copy doesn't matter as much? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Um, and I found out I was a better copywriter than I thought I would have because I edited a ton of it for 20 plus years, but never really positioned myself as a copywriter. Once I became a story brand, story brand certified guy and I started going through that process, I could write pretty good copy now. That's even, you know, someone who wants to do their own emails or wants to do their own landing pages, whatever, go through that strategic framework first and it becomes much easier, much, much easier. You got the content you need versus I wake up this morning, I got to get this LinkedIn post out. What am I going to do today? And start trying to come up with something like that. And you walk through that thought process, being able to then, that's messaging. It's the strategic part of it, who the customer is, problems of it. Then copywriting is now, how do I sneak that and put it in an email, put it in a social post? Uh, yes. it's, it's fascinating how much easier it is to do was I have this kind of strategic thought process in place. Marketing plan is another you know, a lot of people think, well, marketing plans is huge, you know, thing. I've got all these pages and tabs. Now your marketing plan is basically who that buyer is. I buy a persona, what my messaging is, and then how do I go show up where they show up? It things that, you know, that's your marketing plan. It doesn't yep. have to be this overly ponderous process. You've got to have those steps in place. So many people jump to tactical end of it and, you know, it doesn't work. You don't understand why. It's, so to, your, to answer your question, really do that messaging strategy first, then you can go and write things that make much more sense. Happens. Yeah, that's such good advice. You know, uh, I, I do copywriting for a lot of trade show events and there's multiple writers involved and lots of people who are executing it. And at the beginning, you're like, how are all of these people going to keep the same voice, keep the same message. And what we do is we create, we call it the copy platform. And so it's typically a two to three page document, but it has that messaging strategy, that outline of the story, essentially the key components were written out and everyone pulls from that core document, regardless of where it's going. We always start there and just naturally and easily, it keeps us all consistent and on message and on point. And there's very rarely any issues when it comes to the copy working and being consistent across all the platforms. So that that's exactly what we do when it comes to big teams and events. So I, I love that you said that. That's, it is fascinating how much better they work. And it seems obvious, but you know, a lot of people, they, they don't know how to think through that. That's one of the frameworks so well. Uh, but then once you do that, just like you're saying, it becomes so much easier to stay on point, stay on strategy. And then again, strategy again is nothing but Euphemism for choice. So if we're going to start breaking away from that, we need to have a conversation. It doesn't mean it's wrong, but have we changed our buyer persona or we're going after a different? Have we changed the problem we're solving? Have we made a tweak in there? We need to have a conversation to make sure then that we align that. That is all that strategic thinking is. When I start making changes in those, that I talk through the implications, both positive and negative, that that may have. And again, the financial planner example, if I'm just being very generic and I'm going through this, it could have a negative implication. But if I wanted to shift from, you know, young married couples to someone wanting a second home. So now I got, I got a shift in there. I'm going to shift my messages. Um, that's, that's strategic thinking. It's just thinking through the implications, both positive and negative of that when you make changes in your structure. Yeah. And, you know, I think it brings up a really good point because a lot of business owners who are trying to market, they're starting off, they don't necessarily have a plan, they haven't worked with anyone before, they they just either run a service or created a product that they love. What they typically do, at least what I've seen, is they'll start off just trying to post on social media and then send out an email and send these scattered tactics and pieces out. So I think really the, the core message of today's conversation is don't do that. <laughs> Build your framework, build that foundational message first and pull from that, splinter that off and post that everywhere. Yeah. And I'm part of networking groups here for VR too. You know, you can tell the ones in there who have thought through that. And then the ones that just, you know, we have, you know, we have a guarantee in this area. We've been in business 20 years or whatever. And they're not really talking about the problems they solve. 
the pain points they're addressing, the games they're creating, that sort of thing. When you work through messaging strategy, you have so much more rich content to be talking about that again, bites people in the story and makes them more through things. Yeah. You know, the last thing I want to chat about really briefly, we touched on it earlier, but I think it's a, it's a great kind of point to close up with is that sales presentation that you mentioned. So I've worked with a lot of people who are very hesitant to create a sales presentation. I'll never use it. There's no point. People don't like PowerPoints, but we make it anyways because they don't have a choice in the matter. And then they use it all the time. They pull it out and show slides or they're talking to someone or they get invited to speak and it just helps so much. So when we're creating that sales presentation, believe me, whether you think you need one or not, you need one. But when we're creating it, do you have any points or tips on what we can do to just optimize it and make sure that that framework makes sense in a presentation? Yeah, a couple of examples. One, and it was that thing you mentioned PowerPoint. We were having a conversation about that not too long ago, and I was almost embarrassed. You know, is it okay if I still use PowerPoint? Amazing how the negative connotation, but it's still a very, very useful tool that I use it all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm anything I'm doing like that, not that three fairly recent conversations on that. You want to be as prov- provocative as you can with your message, particularly on that first slide. And I know Donald Miller, story we're going to talk about that you don't even necessarily, when you're presenting, start saying, you know, I'm Gene Lewis, you know, I'm glad to be here today. Thank you for taking the time. Just get right into the problem so you can start having them land you need. The one example is the young lady who has the in-home care business. We're having a conversation around who her target is and she starts talking about the sandwich generation and said, so, well, that's interesting. What does that mean? Man, heard that, you know, you're t- the age where you have kids, family obligations, and your parents are aging and now you have to take care of that too. So you're finding the sandwich presentation, sandwich situation where she was doing a presentation in our networking group the next day. I said, is that in your presentation? She said, I said, well, it is now. And her first slide, I had her, when her first slide came up there, it was just a big sandwich. <laughs> So now we've got this in-home care person up here talking about senior care and our first slides of sandwich. What is that about? So we started leaning in. And then the other one, I'm talking to this software company who does scheduling um, software for manufacturing, highly complex manufacturer, a lot of short runs, high mix. Um, and they talk about solving the late problem, which is great. But how do you quantify that? So maybe the first slide you have is $100 million. And that's piece was all this left. And that's the amount of money lost to to products and serve the products being late in the manufacturing environment. So now that you offer hundred million dollars, you've got me landing it. So whatever you can take that problem and really make something provocative on that first slide, that's the way I really like to use that framework. And then you start going into the rest of the framework of how understand that problem is keeping you from getting what you want. Here's, you know, we felt it too. Just start kind of following the general same kind of outcome. We're really trying to make that first slide as much of a hook and, but not a random hook, a hook based on that messaging strategy. Other thing I was talking about this um, company with, they want to, they want to have something that give away at trade shows, you know, and, the, and what the people take away. And they were talking about the thing that goes on the back of your phone or, you know, a USB port thing. So wouldn't it be great if you had something around scheduling or not being late? <laughs> What can you do that reinforces your message? Well, just to get people to think about that always. Any interaction you have, how can you kind of reinforce what you said your form is? Yeah. A long-winded and incident question. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I love the creativity when it comes to um, gifts or um, giveaways or even just those like little marketing collateral that we give the pens and stuff like that instead of going the traditional route like be creative and be remembered because everyone's going to remember the sandwich lady right if she had magnet of a sandwich like <laughs> what i told it's been, you know, and i don't know what it is you know but maybe it's one of the alarm clocks that shines a thing on the ceiling you know so you're not going to be late you're not going to be late because you're going to wake up and see it well your orders aren't going to be late when you deal with us you know so now you've got a premium that connects what you're talking about Mercy is just standing as you look on it. They put on their desk, keep the other things up. Yeah, and never remember or look at. If you could give one piece of advice, so the entrepreneurs, startups who are listening today, if they're going to leave and do one first thing after listening to this episode, what would you like them to do? Well, other than talking to you before they start, (laughs) what I would really like them to do is, you know, take a step back and just think of who their customer is very in-depth. 
Uh, if they're asking themselves the question, should that be on Instagram or something, just put that aside for a minute. Who really is your customer? And then start thinking about what they want from it. Start thinking through the journey that person's going on so that you can position yourself as the guy to help them solve. Just that. Just step back and think for a minute before you leap into tactics. Strategy leans tactics. And so many people, they, the small business, they hear the word strategy. I even had somebody counseling at this one time. And said, you don't know what strategy is. It's not the more than chance. You're choosing who your buyer is. You're choosing what problem you're going to solve for them. You're choosing how you're going to show up. You want to show up or show up. So just think a little bit, take a step back and really focus on who that buyer is and what problem you're solving for them. Yeah. I love when people ask me because I, I refer to myself as a strategist. I'll say we deal with the what and the why and the tactics is the how, <laughs> which is, is very much the same thing. Uh, for our listeners who want to get in touch with you, want to learn more about you and connect with you online, where can they find you, Gene? Um, LinkedIn's a great place to find me. Gene Lewis and Power Strategies on LinkedIn out there pretty much every day. Website empowerstrat.com. You can download a marketing and check a marketing assessment there. I have a marketing plan checklist you can kind of look at there. Those are two places I kind of hang out the most. Uh, and then also you can always just book a call with me via the website. We have a free conversation to stick around your business. What problem are you dealing with? And you can always kind of leave there with maybe a couple of ideas on how you can go help make your business work a little better. Awesome. All right, everyone, head on over. Make sure to take that marketing assessment. It's going to be invaluable to you. If you're interested in refining your message and creating a strategy, head on over to Gene Lewis's website. I'll link it in the description below. Gene, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for joining me in another episode of the Hustle Less, Profit More podcast. Thanks to our season one sponsor, Asteri Pursuit Marketing and Communications. You can find show notes and resources at hustlelessprofitmorepodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us where you get your podcasts. Join us again next time to uncover more of the keys to achieving success, wealth, fulfillment, and freedom. Thanks for listening.